Hey, 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 it's Marthea Pitts, the MSW coach, and I'm back for another episode of my podcast, uh, Macro Social Work Your Way. If you are new here, do me a favor. However you are listening to this episode or watching this episode, if you're watching me on YouTube um, at the MSW coach, or if you are listening to me on a podcast streaming platform, be sure to follow this page, however you're listening to me. That way you can get alerts of when I release a new episode and you can just stay in the loop. So that's the first piece of homework during this session. Take a moment right now, follow the podcast, however you are watching it right now via YouTube or listening on your streaming platform and follow my podcast. So let me introduce myself and then we're going to jump right into this conversation. For those who are new here, my name is Marthea Pitts. I'm a three-time award-winning workforce development career counselor and macro social worker. And I help social workers, specifically social workers who are interested in doing large-scale change-making work, make the pivot from traditional case management jobs where you are severely undervalued, underpaid, and severely overworked, help you transition to large-scale macro, which is, it could be it could be grassroots organizations, it could be a statewide or level um, effort, it can be national, it can be international, help you transition to those jobs with no requirement to get any additional licenses, degrees, have leadership experience, any of the things, right? Um, there are lots of mistruths about macro level work. And I help bust those every day. So to, as of today, I've helped well over 130 social workers since I've officially been keeping count, land macro jobs that they love, jobs where they have at least, at bare minimum, two times their salaries. Um, and they're doing large scale work that they love and they're no longer experiencing burnout or overwhelm. And they are moving the needle closer to progress every day with the wonderful work that they're doing in the world. So if you are interested in learning more about what macro social work is, I encourage you to click the link down in the episode show notes or in the description box and click the link to visit my website, Macro and Paid, A-N-D-P-A-I-D, like money, get paid money, macroandpaid.com. Visit the link and grab my free e-course. In that e-course, I just break down everything there is for you to know about what macro work is, what it entails, the different organization types, job titles, possible salary ranges, all of the things. That's a great starting point for you to learn more about macro level work. So, um, today I want to talk about the fact that everything happens for a reason in your career, right? Um, I know I specifically primarily taught largely to social workers, but for those who are new here, I coach change makers, right? So being a um, workforce development career counselor, I have worked with universal career seekers, uh, and Ironically enough, none of them were social workers, but I work with people from all different professions, all different levels on the um, organizational charts. I work with those who were degreed, those who did not hold degrees, those who held more technical certifications and licenses. Um, 
vocational trades, all of the things, right? So I have a large vast of experience. This is what helps me uh, really talk to the universal job seeker. However, my work really is geared towards social workers under the MSW coach because I know that you all are really committed to moving the needle closer to progress, um, not just for other people's lives, but also for your own life, right? Because I always say that the transition to macro work for me and a ton of my coaching clients who have landed jobs really shift, they're doing work to shift the needle closer to progress for other people's lives while simultaneously shifting the needle towards progress in their own lives. So um, I encourage you to go back, listen to some old episodes, watch some old videos, but I have had quite a few of my past coaching clients on as guests on the podcast, and they are very open and honest about the fact that they're making more money than they've ever made in their career. Um, they have gone on to buy homes. And admittedly, we don't talk enough about it out loud, but hey, I'm going to start talking more about it out loud in 2024, right? They're, they're buying homes. They travel interna internationally and domestically quite often um, for personal enjoyment, not just for their job. Um, and they are thriving, right? They're thriving. Um and so I really wanted to talk about this morning about the fact that everything happens in your career for a reason. And I'm, I'm thinking about how I want to start this off. The reason I wanted to talk about this thing, right, is because oftentimes when you are experiencing the hardest moments in your career, Right. So let's throw out some examples because I love a good example, be it a layoff, be it a termination, be it a demotion, be it uh, you went to an interview and didn't get a job offer or you went through three rounds of an interview and you didn't get a job offer. What I've learned in my 15 plus years in the workforce is that everything really, truly does happen for a reason. Right. And this is coming from someone who literally early on in my career, before becoming a social worker, when I worked in um, state government agencies and call centers primarily, when I wouldn't get a job, like let's say I went through the interview and I wouldn't get a job, or heck, even if I applied and didn't get an interview, I would internalize that, right? And um, and I would internalize it so much to the point of I thought something was inherently wrong with me, right? And so I'll give you an a specific situation um, that I really want to talk about. So I was working in one call center. My first agency that I worked with was um, with the was with the agency that oversees the abuse hotline for children and adults, right? So in that role, I, that was my first state job. It took me years to get in with the state because this was this was coming off of the heels when the state moved to outsourcing their human resources, right? Because it was, you know, a well-known fact that there was a lot of nepotism going on in state government, which was which was why it was so hard for me the years prior to 
get a job with the state. I didn't know anybody, right? So it was a well-known fact. And so the, the state of Florida was like, we are going to outsource our human resources as a way to better streamline the hiring of people, making certain that we're tapping into you know, uh, you know, all of the possible candidates, our candidate pool is, you know, wide and deep that we're tapping into the market the way that we should. So they outsourced the human resources. When that happened in my city, that opened up a huge opportunity for a large subgroup of the people that lived here who could never get into state government. Because if you didn't have a friend a mom, a cousin, a neighbor, an uncle, and it's still this way, right? <laughs> Let's be real. Nepotism is a thing, right? So if you didn't have a friend, a cousin, or a friend or a friend, a neighbor, a teacher, or someone who could literally create a position for you and hand walk your application through the process to get you the job, it was, it was, you were literally just applying into the black hole, right? So anyway, that's how I landed my first state government job. It was coming fresh off of the heels of the outsourcing. It was a whole lot of turmoil going on during that time in the state government because the people who had been doing this for years in the HR, they were essentially being phased out, right? But it, again, it was to better streamline the processes. That's one side of the reason. Of course, I'm sure it was like just to update the systems and all of the things also. But what mattered to me was the point of this would then create some opportunities for other people in the city, right? Because in my city, it's people graduate from high school with the career goal of working at the state and retiring from the state. That is a well-known fact. Right. So anyway, fast forward, I landed my first state job um, after months and months and months and months and months before even that, like years and years and years of applying to the state. I landed my first state job from that job. I um, was only making nineteen thousand one hundred dollars or something like that. It was no more. It was no more than nineteen seven hundred. Right. Nineteen thousand one hundred dollars. From that point on, I moved to another state agency because within state government, they heavily, heavily, heavily promote you moving around. This is how I got used to job hopping, right? Because the state's government actually encourages you to move from one agency to the other, right? So you can get a good diverse mix of experience, which will ultimately benefit them and their bottom line, their, their mission of the organization. Okay. So I moved to one state agency and then I came back to my original state agency. But the whole time I had my eyes set on this one specific agency because it was well known in the call center crew circle that this one agency paid like the most money you could make for call center jobs. Right. So I talked very candidly about the fact of how I was pigeonholed to to call center jobs, no matter what I did, again, because I don't have a network, right? So if you want to if you want to do a good administrative focused drive where you're maybe like someone's admin assistant or doing some type of like clerical work that doesn't require you to be on the phone, 
you had to know somebody, right? So I didn't know anyone. So um, I was pigeonholed to call center jobs. Uh, and so I began to set my sights on this other agency, which was child support, right? So everybody knew child support paid really, really well, really, really well for that, right? So looking back at it, it probably was somewhere like in the, huh, let me think, how much does child support pay? Somewhere probably like in the low 30s, mid 30s, something like that, right? But it's goals. If you're only making, and it probably wasn't even the mid 30s, it probably was just like low 30s, like 31, 32, something like that. But if you're making 19,000 a year, 31, 32 is oh, jackpots, right? To do what I'm doing now, just amplify it a little bit more. Yes, that's goals, right? Um. But with child support, even though the states had outsourced their human resources, uh, it still was very difficult to get on with that agency because each agency essentially created their own timeline to phase into these more like up-to-date systems, right? So what that looked like was prior to the outsourcing of the HR, organizations did a lot of like paper skills tests, paper applications. I remember having to even like go to organizations and fill out a paper application. With the new outsourcing, what happened was the states created an online portal, right? So we're moving into the day and age of technology. An online portal where you created one master application, you can see all of the jobs. You didn't have to go from like organization to organization to learn about their jobs. And you could create your master application, hit apply to as many jobs as you want, and then it'd be routed to whomever, right? But the behind the scenes, uh, like workings was still being phased out. So with child support, they still did all of their internal processes. They had not relinquished, relinquished full control over to the new outsourcing HR company, right? So what that looked like was you could apply, but it still was a very high, like, it was still a, like a, a major process <laughs> to get an interview. And then once you get an interview, you had to take a skills test. And then when you went into the skills test, the skills test was still on the paper. They hadn't automated it. It wasn't online, none of the things, right? So you were still dealing with some very archaic practices. So I say all that to say, um, once I got with the state, I still had my eyes set on child support. I applied, I applied, I applied. I never could get an interview, right? So maybe I would say maybe like my third year with the state, I applied. I got an interview, which was major, right? Because also what I didn't say is when people got jobs with child support, they didn't leave those jobs. <laughs> they didn't leave those jobs. Um, actually, people didn't leave that agency either because that agency was what is well known. I'm sure it is still to this day, well knowing known for um, never laying people off because they managed their budget in a very specific way to to avoid having to lay people off because there's not enough funding. Right, I could go all into the things, but I won't. But me even explaining this to you is explaining how very early on in my work life, I had a very, I had a huge understanding of how systems worked, the organizations work that I worked within. So I was never sitting like a duck, 
right? So I strategically, even back in my call center days, which is a high school diploma, I was strategically planning out my career. And this was before I even decided to go back to school, right? I strategically was identifying organizations where I knew I would have the opportunity to make the most money I could using the education and experience that I had. I also strategically only applied to organizations who had a historical like uh, reputation as well as the physical budget to maintain the positions. Because when you are on the front line, you will be the first one to go, right? The, the last one in is the first one to go. So I, I strategically only targeted those organizations, which means I didn't target, even if I saw another job that paid more, well, they probably didn't pay more, but maybe they had like some other little perks that I was interested in. I didn't target those organizations because they lay people off every year. They let them go or they only hire OPS because they don't they never have enough money in the budget. Right. So, again, I was very strategic, even when I was only making nineteen thousand dollars a year with a high school diploma. Hence the reason I talk to you all about all the time about making strategic decisions beyond just your your take home pay right you have to think deeper you got to push you got to think the long game right many of you are so short sighted in your thinking when it comes to your career that many times you are putting yourself in situations that on some level you could have moved a little strategically back right to to not take such a blow so anyway, so um, I went to the jobs, the skills test, flunked it, didn't do good, many different reasons. I talked about it in the past podcast episode, we're not going to get into it today. I couldn't pass it. So um, I still had it on my list. I'm going to get a job at child support, right? Because all I'm hearing all of these years is how much child support pay. I'm seeing people, again... You know, I ain't super connected, but I see people, hear of people, they were driving around in their Nissan Altimus because they work at the call center and child support and they making money, right? I need to be there. I'm struggling paying my rent and paying my electricity and getting groceries. I need to be at child support. So anyway, fast forward, I still continue to apply. Every time I see a job, I hit apply. Every time I see a job. It eventually got to this point, I think it was maybe year four, three and a half, four, something like that with the state. Um, child support began to, because again, they're going from these very outdated systems, which even included like the number of staff that they had in each region. So what they eventually did was they downsized all of the smaller call centers they had throughout the state. And they condensed it down into, I think, like two call centers and one major call center here in my city, which immediately means that they opened up a bunch of positions. So I apply. I get a skills test. Um, I pass the skills test. I get an interview. I land the job. I get the job. And I start the job. So I'm finally at goals. This is goals for me, right? This, this was goals. And by this time, I was... I had started um, my AA degree. So I started the pursuit of my AA degree. 
I'm taking like one, maybe two classes. I don't know where I was in that journey, but no more than two classes a semester. Again, I'm strategically with the state because the state pays for my classes, right? So that's why I stayed within the system. So I'm not paying, well, I was paying tuition out of pocket because I had to, I had flunked so bad before <laughs> before uh, going returning back to school. So probably somewhere in there, the state is helping me pay for something. If not, I'm paying for it by myself. I don't know what semester I was in. So anyway, um, I get the job. I start the job. Now, mind you, I've been trying to get this job for at least probably two years or more since I really like learned about it and the opportunity. So anyway, I get the job. I start the job. I train. I'm on the floor. It probably wasn't until like month six, maybe closer towards the year of end, year one. And I think I probably was there like two, three years. I don't know. I began to hate the job. Right? I began to hate the job because we were severely, severely overworked, right? Severely overworked. Uh, I would take on average anywhere over anywhere um between like ninety to a hundred and something odd calls. Uh, as uh back then I didn't identify as an introvert. I still technically don't, but I just use that term so people understand it. So as a person who really needs to re-energize, I was talking eight eight hours a day, eight plus hours a day. And I used to explain it as I used to go to battle. I would literally have to suit up every morning to go to a job where I would literally be in war all day long with people about their business, right? About business that had nothing to do with me, right? So what that looked like, I would be on the phone with the custodial parents, who were upset that their child support payments were late or that it had not come, which is understandable. People rely on this income to live. So, but in the midst of that, right, people were upset that the non-custodial parent has not held up their side of this legal agreement, right? So as a person in between these two parties who don't talk, who don't probably even know where each other lives, I became the person, me as well as my other colleagues in that call center. You become the the intermediate. What is it? Intermediary, the person who gets all of the stuff done doing right. So in that job, every day I would go to work. I was at battle. I and I always tell people it this way, right? Because I'm, I think I'm funny. I know I'm funny. But I also say it so you can understand. I would literally be on the phone battling with people about why they didn't get their dollar and fifty cent child support check. Again, I don't count nobody pockets. <laughs> that ain't my job because I know I don't like nobody to be in my business like that. But when you are already dealing with your stuff behind the scenes, because I'm a full time student, I'm a full time employee. I got other personal life stuff going on behind the scenes, right? And when I have to come to work and battle with you about why the person you had a relationship with, I don't even know this other person, is not keeping up with their end of the legal agreement. 
and I have nothing, I get nothing out of this, right? <laughs> I have nothing to do with it. That's hard. It's hard, right? And so that job was the first job and it was a very costly lesson. It really truly was, right? It was a very, very costly lesson that I learned and I'm glad I learned it early on. So that's why I want to share it with you all today. Everything happens for a reason, right? When I didn't get an interview two, three years earlier, that was assigned to more mature Marthea, right? Who has lived a little bit more, who picks easy, who picks up easily on themes and patterns, um, and whose faith is stronger now. That was a sign to Marthea back then. This job is not for you. It's not what you should be doing, right? But because I wanted it so much, and I did not lean into my into my faith, my belief system. You believe what you want to believe. But because I didn't believe lean into my faith system, um, I pushed the issue, right? And I used to do that a lot in a lot of other areas of my life. But we're talking about careers, right? So I pressed the issue and I pressed the issue. If I if I cared enough, I could log into the state system and probably tell you how many times I applied for that job before I actually got the job. And that was the worst job that I ever had in my whole entire career life, right? Um, so yeah, had I paid attention to the, the signs that were very clear, right? But I say this to say this, when you are feeling the physical pain, right? So I'm making, I probably was making 20 something around this time when I was trying to get the job. I was making 19000 somewhere between 20000 All I could think about was, how was I going to pay my bills? I needed this job to make more money. This is what I need. This is what I need. When in essence, me taking that job cost me way more than I ever made in that job, right? I talk very openly about the fact I was in a long-term relationship at the time. I have been never, I mean, I've been in that relationship a long time. And I honestly, to this day, not even believe I know that relationship ended because of that job, compounded with all of the other things that I was going in, going through in life, but mainly because of that job. I was so severely burnt out and overworked and just unhappy because I always knew that greater is out there for me to do. Right. Okay. So it ended my my romantic relationship. It affected my other personal relationships. Um, ultimately, that was a job that I had to just leave unplanned. I took a career sabbatical for over a year because I had to find me again. Right. I had to find me again. Um, so ultimately, yes, it led to me being off a year, but it was ultimately me trying to get me back because I had lost me from that job. So I share that to say that everything happens for a reason in your career. And the faster you can accept that, and I'm pausing for a reason, the faster you can accept that, adjust and move to the next thing, 
the less heartache and pain you will experience. And in the words of fun, Funky Dineva, if you don't know who he is, he's a big personality on YouTube. You either going to pay now or you're going to pay later. All right. So it may be good in the beginning, but it may cost you something in the end where you end up severely burned out and got to take two years off from the job market. Now you don't have any money. Right. So I say that to say everything happens for a reason. And I know it's real cliche and you see it floating around on the internet about like how um, closed doors are not missed opportunities. They're just redirections or something like that. It is true. Right? And so I wish I had someone to tell me that because it would have saved me a lot of heartache. It would have saved me a lot of tears. That was just one example, but it would have saved me a lot of tears of when I didn't get a job and they would send a, a, a rejection letter. It would have saved me a lot of time when I would apply and then get a job offer and then I keep applying and I keep applying or interview and I keep applying. It would have saved me a lot of time. I could have just felt the feelings, adjusted myself and moved to a different, set my sights on something different, right? Many of you are focusing your, are forcing your way into something that is not meant for you. And it's not until you get into the thick of it, will you understand why it was so hard for you to get in. You weren't supposed to be there. <laughs> you weren't supposed to be there. So I wanted to share that. Like everything happens for a reason. And the minute you can start accepting that in your career, we could talk about personal too, but in your career, right? The minute you start accepting that and the minute you feel the feelings, because you're going to feel them, right? Nobody wants to be rejected. Nobody wants to not get the thing that they see for themselves. But the minute you accept like, okay, this just means that that wasn't for me, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to go to the next thing. I'm going to apply for the next one. Don't be me. Don't learn that lesson the hard way, right? Don't learn that lesson the hard way. And this is why I always say that a lot of the people whose careers you hold in very high regard, you admire them, you don't know the stuff that they're dealing with behind the scenes. You think they are career goals and they are suffering, right? Last year, last year, and I would say even 2020 were years of just, discovery for me right of people that you that people will hold in high regard and I get to see the other side of their careers oh no I don't want that <laughs> that is no I don't want that I don't want I don't want it if it comes with that I don't want it right so everything happens in your career for a reason a field of feelings Accept it, adjust yourself, and move around. Move to the different thing. The longer you sit in it is the longer you are pausing your uh, your destiny, what is really out there for you, your discovery of what is supposed to be next for you. But don't force your way into places where it is clear. Right? It was clear. I had been applying for two years. It was clear I wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> it was clear. Right? So, yeah, everything happens in your career for a reason. If you enjoyed this conversation today, I welcome you to join my mentorship. 
I have a mentorship. It's called the MSW Mentorship Community. Inside of the community, we do a lot of deep work around things that you have never talked about in your career, specifically around how to build, get clarity about what you want to do outside of the things that people tell you social workers just can do. I also help you with building the confidence you need to go after the careers you want. Let 2024 be your year of action. You have connect, you have collected enough notes you have gone to enough, enough of those social work empowerment webinars where you walk away with no tangible nothing. It's the same bag of information you got from the other five that you went to. It's time to start executing, right? And we do nothing but execute inside of the mentorship community. If you click the link down in the episode show notes, oh, I'm gonna say this why. Because I'm the type of person, I cannot talk about something more than twice. After this, I don't even talk about it twice, but after the second time, we are taking action, right? So if you are ready to take action, if you're ready to move past this empowerment to the fact of, I need to do something differently in my career and me going to a, hey, we're all social workers rally party, that, that ain't going to do it, right? So if you are ready, click the link down in the episode show notes, visit Macro Unpaid, join the mentorship community. Once you click the link and join, you get immediate access to the replays. And then you get an then you get to attend our live coaching calls. We're doing a lot of exciting stuff inside of the accelerator. But hey, it's up to you. Maybe you like to just talk about the thing and talk about the thing and talk about the thing. That's that's not us inside of the mentorship community. So um, yeah, everything happens for a reason in your career. The faster you accept that, the faster you can get to where you're supposed to be. Happy macro career planning. Bye.